Today on the Developmental Podcast, we're going to talk beer, sweet or sour, as is popular these days, beer, that magical elixir that makes you feel good and all your troubles disappear. Oh wait, we're not actually going to talk beer, but we are going to talk to Caitlin Greffley, our guest today, who is building a career in software engineering after five plus years of working in, yep, you guessed it, the beer industry, for the likes of Founders, Freewheel, and one of my all-time favorites, Stone Brewing. Caitlin, who graduated with an undergraduate degree in psychology, has indeed successfully transitioned into software engineering after a number of years working in the beer industry, including reaching the level of beer Cicerone. We'll dig into what that actually means and hear how and why she made the leap next on the Developmentor Podcast. You're listening to the Developmentor Podcast hosted by Grant Ingersoll. We have one goal on the show, to help you build a successful career in tech, no matter where you're from or where you're going. We do this by showcasing interesting people working across a variety of roles in tech and deep dive into their why. If you want to learn more, please visit our website at developmentor.com or follow us on Twitter at developmentor. show, Caitlin. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's so great to have you. Uh, you know, when I saw your profile go by on my Twitter feed, I just knew I had to reach out and get you on as a guest. So thanks again for joining me. Cool. Yeah, I'm glad you reached out. And, you know, for our listeners, this is being recorded in what we are all collectively uh, experiencing with the pandemic. So Caitlin, I hope you're doing all right up there in Portland. Yep, um, staying sane and playing a lot of board games. Drinking a lot of beer, too. <laughs> Fantastic. I think that's about all we can ask for. What's your favorite board game these days? Um, weirdly, right now, my partner and I have been playing the childhood game of life. There's no pandemic card that you can draw in that game, if you were wondering. We could do an updated version. I remember playing that game quite a bit myself. So <laughs> did you choose the college route or the trades route? Oh, got to go the college route. Make more money. And what's on tap these days, since we're talking a little bit of beer, at least? You can pretty much always find Fort George Cavatica in my fridge. Uh, it's mm. one of my favorites. I love Imperial Stouts, even when the weather gets warm. Is that one just local to Portland? I don't recall having seen that in my grocery store, beer store. Probably not. I think they're just on the West Coast. Uh, they're out of Astoria, Oregon. Really good brewery if you can ever get your hands on some, though. Well, that's awesome, Caitlin. Why don't we kick things off then with, uh, you know, I gave a little bit of a teaser up front, but I would really love to hear you introduce yourself in your own words. I'm Caitlin. After graduating from UC Santa Cruz with a degree in psychology about a decade ago, I spent a good chunk of time working in the beer industry. Did beer sales kind of regionally for a couple of different breweries that you mentioned. And I just kind of got sick of the travel and there was, you know, a lot of mandatory drinking events that I was just burning out on a little bit. So I decided to make a career switch and joined the Thinkful coding bootcamp online as a remote bootcamp. And after six months of doing that, I got hired and became an associate software engineer. And that's where I am now. 
That's fantastic. And congratulations on making that switch. Before we talk tech, there's kind of two parts there actually in your past. And I, I think I saw a talk by you where, you know, you said something like, hey, you know, if at 18, you figured out what you want to do with your life, well, congratulations, that's like a superpower or something like that. So I'm kind of curious, give me that little bit more of that backstory, like why psychology and then why beer? So it's funny because growing up in like elementary school through high school, uh, really my subject I was best at was math. Just always did really well in the classes. I loved it, tested well in it. And no one could make a good suggestion of like a career I could build in that. So I kind of just left it behind. I didn't want to be an accountant or a math teacher. And I got into college and psychology classes were just fun. I like people. I like thinking about how they make decisions, what makes them tick. And I didn't put a ton of thought into a career I could make with that. Mm -hmm. I thought maybe I'd be a therapist, but I graduated college right into the recession going to grad school and spending a whole bunch more money wasn't really something that was appealing to me. And there's not a ton you can do with an undergrad degree in psychology. So I really just made the decision. I moved to San Francisco and I was like, I'm going to think about this for a while and get like a random job. And that random job ended up being a beer tender on Pier 39 in San Francisco. Kind of, I just ended up kind of lucking into the beer industry. I didn't know that much about beer. I think I considered myself more of a wine drinker at the time. And then it just kind of snowballed from there. And I got into the sales gig and it was a lot of fun for a while, but it just kind of a certain point felt like a frat I'd been a part of for a little too long. Oh, interesting. Well, and I suppose the psychology degree, like if you're serving beer and things like that, bartending, beer tending, and then of course sales, I mean, psychology does lend itself pretty well to sales, right? I mean, somebody who's comfortable with people, I would imagine at least that degree served you well in that industry. Yeah, I definitely would joke when I was a bartender that I was just an underpaid therapist because people definitely use bartenders that way. <laughs> it is a much cheaper form. Well, and so I'm curious, you know, on your resume, you, you have this title, Beer Cicerone. Uh, I think I know what that means, but I would love just real quick, what, what's that mean for our audience? Um, it's kind of like a sommelier with wine. Um, so I studied for probably about six months. Uh, this was maybe two years into my beer career. And I took a like four hour test on beer. It was kind of like the SATs of beer. I wrote essays and um, answered multiple choice questions. And then there was obviously a, a tasting component. I passed that and I'm a certified Cicerone, which is like a level two. At the time I took it, they had three levels. Um, now they have four, I believe. I always worry, like, if you make this thing that you enjoy your work, do you then still enjoy it? But I think you already answered that at the lead in, which is despite beer being your job for a while, you still do like beer. Yeah. I think at the time when I was studying for the test, it was hard for me to just kick back with a beer um, without thinking about it intensely. But now I can easily do that. I'm less likely to drink bad beer. Well, so then I'm curious, so you're doing sales. I, I get kind of the lifestyle of that. There's a pressure to quote unquote be on. I've done sales in my career as well. And you know, it sounds glamorous at first, the whining and dining, but after a while, it just drags you down. But so then why tech? You know, so I, I get the math background. Why software engineering? How did you decide that switching to tech and software engineering is what you wanted to do? I think this is where I 
thought a lot about how I kind of grew up with this math brain and it mm -hmm. started to um, show up in the work I was doing in sales. Data analytics was part of my job, uh, creating presentations for buyers and such. And I really love that part. And so my first thought was, hey, you know, I've always loved math, which is weird. Not a lot of people feel that way. I like working with spreadsheets. I love data analytics. Again, not everyone's favorite uh, thing to do with their free time. So I was like, that feels like a direction I could go. So that's what I started thinking about. And I actually applied to, there was like a data analytics boot camp. And I applied to one and I got rejected because I didn't know any coding. And that was the first time coding had even crossed my mind. And I was like, what? You have to know coding? What is coding? I don't know anything about computers. I, when the printer is broken, I have no idea what to do. So it felt very counterintuitive to me at first that that mm -hmm. would be something I could do. But I found some websites like Free Code Camp where I could mess around a bit with code for free. And I was pretty ready to make a change at my job. And um, when I'm unhappy, I am pretty motivated to make changes quickly. I'm impatient pretty quickly within probably two weeks of me first getting that rejection letter saying you need to learn how to code. I had enrolled in a coding boot camp. Like really, someone probably should have told me to calm down. Um, <laughs> but I think the people in my life know me too well and knew that wasn't going to happen. It honestly wasn't a lot of thought. I just thought this is something that feels like I could be good at it. It feels like I could like it. And I want to make a change. So educated guess. That's fantastic. I love those moments. I'm curious on pulling a little bit more on the math thread. And by the way, like you have found home amongst a, a number of kindred spirit for sure. I mean, I, I feel much the same way. I have a math degree and a CS degree and there are not very many of us out there, although thankfully more and more. I'm curious, did you take math classes in college as well? So like you kind of continued through or were you finding yourself in this sales role just brushing off, you know, these cobwebs from high school? I think I only took one math class in college and it was statistics. I just, again, kind of didn't know what I would do with higher math education and like talking more and more to like women who grew up in the time I did. It was more common for like computer science degrees, um, those classes to be filled with men. And it wasn't something that I felt like was really presented to me in a way that would be something I wanted to do at the time. And so I just kind of moved away from it. And I think there's probably a variety of different jobs I could have been happy at. So it didn't bother me that much. But coming back to the data analytics, it did kind of just like get that muscle moving again. I don't know maybe I went back to learn high school math. I kind of don't remember what I learned in high school, to be honest. But yeah, I definitely, I think I had to Google some like, you know, long division, like how do you do this calculation again or create this statistic? So yeah, it just kind of like got that part of my brain flowing again and it was really exciting for me. So I wanted to keep it going. It is amazing how much you forget from <laughs> high school. I, I still tell people the single most useful class I took in high school was typing class of all things. <laughs> all right, you're on a mission. You've latched onto this idea. How did you pick Thinkful? What was it about them? And how did you 
prepare? Was this full-time, part-time? I mean, usually these boot camps, especially the more involved ones, like these six-month ones, like that's a pretty big commitment, right? The major way I made my decision was that I decided I didn't want to go into debt for a program. And so, you know, I had my little like nest egg of savings and it basically just covered the cost of the boot camp um, and a little more. So I made the decision that I wanted to keep working through half of my boot camp. And my job at the time, um, like I kind of mentioned, was I was traveling all the time, almost every week. So there was really no way for me to do any sort of structured. I would work nights and weekends and like a varied schedule. So there was just no way for me to do any sort of structured boot camp and definitely not anything in person without me feeling very financially uncomfortable. And I was 31 at the time. So it just, I didn't want to go into debt. It narrowed it down to a few different boot camps for me that were remote and um, thankful was, I think they quoted me at like 20 to 30 hours a week is what I would be putting in versus totally full-time. They got good reviews online. I, I read some uh, stuff from students who had succeeded, reached out to a couple people on LinkedIn, and just, again, kind of made like a gut decision that they felt like a good boot camp for me. Well, so you're two for two now, it sounds like. I mean, what was it actually like then? Because it sounds like you're working full time and trying to figure out whether this software engineering was even for you. So how did that go, like that model for you? I learned how efficient I could be at my job. (laughs) That was the main thing. So being in sales, it's not like, you know, I have to be in an office for eight hours. It's kind of like you make the calls, you hit the numbers. Um, However long that takes for you to do is how long it takes for you to do. So uh, sorry to my former employer, but I probably cut down to working like six hours a day and just like really not taking breaks and just like powering through and getting stuff done. And then I'd put in an extra two to three hours during the weekdays on coding, wake up early, do another hour or something after I got off work. And then I'd usually try and take a break on Saturday and then just do a full day of school on Sunday. So that was kind of how I made it work. And it was stressful for sure, because coding is not easy. And especially in the beginning, trying to get a grasp on some of the logic. I definitely struggled, but I knew I just held on to that feeling of when I would get something to work, how amazing that felt, which Mm. I still get that feeling every time I finally get something to work. And that to me, was like such a high that I wanted to keep chasing it really. So that motivated me to keep going. It made me feel like hopefully I was making the right decision that, you know, late at night, I would find myself opening my computer again, just to keep working on something, even though I didn't have to and hadn't necessarily set aside the time to do so. It was kind of pulling me back in. For our listeners who aren't as familiar with boot camp, I mean, what are kind of some of the things you learned doing a boot camp, and how has that played out for you in the real world, if you will? I think that the biggest thing I learned from my boot camp was kind of how to think like a developer. Mm. And it also got me used to getting frustrated and getting stuck. I remember the first few times that I just felt so stuck and like, this doesn't make sense. How could anyone ever resolve this, you know, little JavaScript problem? And now that has just become a feeling I'm more comfortable with. I don't think I get stuck really any less than I did 
in the beginning, I have more avenues to like work through it now. It helped me start to like forge those pathways to know different ways to work through problems, different things to think about, um, resources to use. And I think that was probably one of my biggest takeaways. I studied the React framework in the front end and Node on the back end when I was in boot camp. And I got hired into a job that does Angular in the front end and uh, C Sharp in the back end. I feel like it's such a good example of that's not the main thing you're learning in a boot camp. You're learning the skills and how to think like a developer and um, kind of more foundational stuff. You know, for our listeners, like typically algorithms, data structures, and then one or two programming languages, and you can land. That my sense is what most boot camps cover. And then, like you said, that key thing, that key insight of how do you think about how to interact with the machine? Caitlin, I mean, it's, it's one thing to go to a boot camp. It's, it's a whole nother thing to land an actual job. How did you approach getting ready for that? getting ready for interviewing, getting out there, if you will, and landing that first job? Yeah, um, my coding boot camp did help me with some prep pretty early on. I think maybe just two months in, they had us create resumes and start our portfolio website Mm -hmm. so that we could start adding to that and having that stuff cleaned up and we would get them reviewed by people actually working in the field. Um, And so that was great. And it also got me to start thinking about that stuff earlier on. And I would highly recommend that for anyone going through bootcamp, whether or not your bootcamp has you do the portfolio at the end, I would start it much earlier because it allowed me to put it out there, like link to it on Twitter, on LinkedIn, and have people see where I was at with my progress. And then when I went to a lot of meetups as well, I probably started going... After like two or three months of the boot camp, I started feeling confident enough to show my face in in public and have these conversations with people about tech. And doing that made a huge difference. That was how I got my first interview. My first technical challenge was just from being at a meetup and someone kind of gave me a preliminary interview on the spot. And I had the technical challenge a few days later, totally, totally failed it. It was a great experience because I've told a couple people this, like if you can get your first interview to be just kind of some random job that maybe isn't your dream job, it's great experience because you get to see what it's like to have a technical interview. It was so scary to me to hear about these, what they would be like and living through that first one and even failing miserably and knowing that I didn't actually die was just like a good experience to be like, okay, like now I maybe know a little better what to study next time or like the vibes I got off this company from the kind of interview they did. Like that's maybe something I'm not going to want to look for. So I think all those things kind of help me prepare. Um, it helps that I'm an extrovert. I really did like going to meetups and talking to people. I definitely did a lot of LinkedIn stalking. I would find companies I was interested in and kind of target a person who worked there, um, maybe a little lower down the food chain, someone more recent into the field, and then try and get them to go out to coffee with me so I could pick their brains and make a connection at that company. Whether they were hiring or not at the time, it felt like a good connection to make. 
That's so fantastic. I mean, for our listeners, I just want to pause there because there's so many good things in what Caitlin just said. So, uh, you know, so for instance, Caitlin, I've had on the past Aileen Lerner who runs interviewing.io. And for any of our listeners who want to get over that scary feeling, it's a great place to interview with actual real humans. But, you know, some of the later things there, that putting yourself out there, that building relationships, that hey, do you want to get coffee so I can pick your brain? I'm not even looking for a job. Just could I hear from you how you did it? So many people want to help in this field. And it seems so scary at first. Was it just like, oh, hey, this is a natural for you? Or was there anything like you had to build up to do in order to kind of reach out that first time? I think it was definitely scary for me in the beginning. Like the first couple months, uh, I avoided meetups because I was just afraid I wouldn't know the right thing to say or someone would ask about a technology or a thing I was doing and I would have no idea how to answer and I would just kind of had that fear and anxiety and I think just going to the first event and feeling how supportive people were and how much like you said everyone wants to help you like i still can't believe how generous people are in the tech industry with their time there were so many people who didn't know me from like joe on the sidewalk and would just offer their time to help me or to talk to me and having that kind of response and like the solidarity of the community just helped me build confidence with every interaction that i could like you know go out there and try for things that seemed hard you must live in a place that's really good for that too. And and again, like for our listeners there, it's like, if the first one doesn't sound like what Caitlin just described, know they're out there and then go on to the next one. You just happen to pick the wrong one to start, but there are plenty of others. I'm sure you would say agree too, Caitlin. Every now and then you run across a dud of a one. Maybe the speaker's not what you're not your jam, or maybe there's not enough people there, or the beer's late. Yeah, for sure. I think like not everybody in every field is a delightful human being to interact with. But I've had just like so many more positive experiences in tech. I love Twitter, which I never thought I'd say. I didn't even have a Twitter account until I joined the tech industry. And that has become such a valuable resource for me to learn and to feel like I'm not alone in some of the struggles that junior developers experience. But there's always some people that are going to be negative no matter what. Yeah. And you just got to ignore them, even though your brain doesn't want you to. Well, so you mentioned being a junior dev and, you know, so one question, I think, you know, what's it like being a junior dev on a team where, you know, shall we say you're, you're more experienced in life than perhaps other junior devs. You've worked for a number of years in other fields. What's that experience been like for you? Yeah, I am a big advocate for people switching careers that you have built a skill set that's going to be relevant to your job no matter where you came from. Um, me coming from fear sales doesn't seem super relevant to software development, but I think one of the things I brought to my team was just I am a strong communicator and I'm comfortable with that. I'm also willing to like kind of take risks and, and put myself out there. And so I think being a junior on the team, you know, is very intimidating. I think it can be hard to 
know how many questions to ask is too many questions or how many is not enough. I was hired on with only one other junior developer. There's not you know, a sea of juniors at my company. But between the two of us, we were both very supported coming from different backgrounds. I felt like I had my own skill set to bring from my previous career. But I also just felt like everyone was there to support us and help us learn and get up to speed. I have a really great team. So yeah, well, and I, I tell every developer I meet, one of the key things you should do is spend some time in sales, either on a sales call listening to a sales call or out on the road. You don't have to do it all the time, but you will be a better developer if you understand what goes into somebody buying your software. Totally. And I think I have so much respect for the sales team at our company. And I understand that when we get requests from them of things we need to add or adjust in the app, I don't feel frustrated by it because I know that they're the ones making the sale. And I, I understand the pain of trying to sell a product that's not exactly what your customer is asking for. Yeah, no, it's, it's true. It's, it's empathy at the end of the day. And I think that's what you're describing as one of the key things that psychology prepared you for, sales prepared you for. So that's, that's fantastic. Speaking of communication, you know, again, kind of a little bit anomalous here, right? Most junior devs don't jump into speaking and writing in the field. What inspired you to take that leap? I don't know. I think as soon as I started my first job, because I had this kind of Twitter community, I had seen so many other people who were on that same path, but maybe hadn't found their first job yet. And I just wanted to kind of share my experience to whoever it might benefit along the way. And then it just kind of kept going. I, I felt more comfortable writing than I expected to because I've never felt like I was much of a writer. But I really had fun with the articles that I posted on Dev. And I wanted to also offer the perspective of like what it's like to be a junior developer so that senior developers might understand what we're going through. And I know a lot of people, they want to bring on juniors, but they don't know how to mentor them or like how to onboard them. And so just sharing that perspective from a junior point of view, I thought it might help other juniors and other companies that don't have as successful a program in onboarding new devs as my company does. So I think I just enjoyed sharing those stories. I got positive feedback and speaking is just something that I've always felt kind of natural doing. I always liked giving presentations uh, when I was in my sales role. And as I found topics I was more passionate about in tech, I just kind of wanted to try it out. And I've done a couple small talks and I always, again, get that kind of high from it and just really enjoy the experience. So I'm just going to keep doing it, I guess, as long as I'm enjoying it. I love it. I think uh, Tracy Lee in episode 30, she talks about just start writing. It doesn't have to be any um, Pulitzer Prize winning article. Just share your experience of doing this thing. Maybe you only get 50 people who read it, but those 50 people might have changed their path. Totally. And that's one thing that's made a huge impact on me continuing to write and talk is like maybe every few articles, there'll be, you know, at least a person that reaches out and says like, this helped me like make a decision to make a career change. And like, it's just like one out of, you know, however many people, but just hearing that is 
so great. I was just talking to my sister about this today, this morning. I got my first book deal solely off of that model. And in that I just started a website and started blogging on this subject that I cared about. And I was doing some open source work. And so I went and pitched a couple of publishers. And it's kind of this way of creating this social proof that you know how to speak and write, et cetera. And that's a really solid foundation and along with the technical chops. So kudos to you. Caitlin, I think one of the things you mentioned in there is like you wanted to help people understand junior devs. And you've you've got this really nice talk that you did. I forget whether it was like 300 seconds or Donut.js or one of those, but where you talk about how companies can support junior devs. I want to step back a little bit and why don't you just hit the highlights of that for our listeners, you know, stepping away from your career a little bit and talk about some of the actual things that go into being a junior dev and with the goal of helping our listeners better understand that. Yeah, I did that talk for Donut.js uh, recently. And what inspired that was, again, I've had such a positive experience at my company who's been really thoughtful about how to onboard junior dev. And I talked to other people about my experience and everyone's just like blown away. Like, that's so great. I'm so glad. Like, that's so rare that you are having that experience. And I'm like, that shouldn't be rare. Like <laughs> everyone should have a supportive team around them for these first few, you know, months, years, whatever. And I think it makes such a big difference for whether or not a new developer makes it and can become more senior and learn more things uh, versus like the burnout rate that there is for new people who feel like they have to work 80 hours a week just to keep up. So a couple of the suggestions I had was if you're bringing on a junior dev onto your team, Everyone is still learning in the developer community. No one knows everything and there's new technology all the time. And so a couple of more senior devs at my company started like a C-sharp learning group. And we meet every other week for an hour and we're going through a Udemy course together. Um, we started with design patterns, which for sure was over my head, but I hoped I was absorbing some knowledge through osmosis. And we've also done some more basic stuff uh, with C Sharp. And just being able to learn together with other people makes you know that you're not the only one who doesn't know everything. Because as a junior, it's really easy to feel like you know nothing and everyone around you knows everything. So that was like one of the most valuable tools I got. In many ways, this is the key to life, at least in my view, which is that you have to be in learning mode all the time, or at least nearly all the time. So what, what else? Any other things that come to mind on, on that? So learning, definitely having this kind of strong camaraderie support. Yeah. And I think, you know, probably a lot of more senior developers, they want to be there for the junior and they have good intentions, but maybe they have a lot going on or like it slips their mind or they have so many meetings they can't keep track. So I think one great thing to do if you're a more senior person is kind of have open office hours, if, even if it's just like an hour a week and let the juniors on your team know that you're kind of available to talk through whatever they're going through or just chat and like make those connections. And knowing that you have people on your team that you can go to to talk with and ask your, you know, what may feel like stupid questions to makes it feel like such a safer space. So I think that can be really helpful. And as a senior too, like in big meetings, 
you don't know everything. So ask questions when something comes up that you don't know about, because it'll, for one, give you the answer, but it will also show your junior that it's okay to ask questions. And again, that they're not the only one who doesn't know things. Yeah, creating kind of that blameless psychological safety, I guess, at the end of the day. That sounds like an amazing first uh, experience. I'm kind of like thinking back to my first role and it was three of us in a tiny little office. So <laughs> the onboarding was like, here you go. <laughs> yeah, it definitely is going to be different depending on the size of your team. But as a junior, finding a couple of allies who you feel comfortable reaching out to about anything has been so great. And as a senior, just having patience because we're learning so much so fast. And I've definitely asked the same question multiple times to the same person. And I'm sorry, just be patient with me. Your observation about how many questions is too much. That's kind of like, and I'll date myself here, that old Tootsie Pop uh, question of how many licks does it take to get to the center? So uh, how many questions is too many? Apparently I haven't hit it. No one's ever told me to stop asking questions. So <laughs> I feel encouraged by that. Um, but it's definitely kind of an internal dialogue I have, and I'm sure a lot of other juniors have where you're like, well, I already asked like five questions in the last hour. Like, should I just pipe down for a little bit and try and Google this later? So just finding a balance that you're comfortable with and that you feel like works with your team. Yeah, I love it. And recognizing and picking up on cues when somebody is too busy at the moment or saving it for later. And I think I always look at it as long as you're demonstrating to me that you're learning. Whereas if you're just being lazy, then that's going to be a problem. The former is fantastic. The latter is a short track to, to being out the door, right? You know, because that's just not a good use of anybody's time. Caitlin, what's been the most surprising thing to date for you as a developer? You're, you're into this role now. What's kind of like, huh, I wasn't expecting that. How little I actually code. Yeah, I don't know, you know, how it is at every company, but when I was in boot camp, I was writing, you know, like 200 lines of code a day, trying to like get my, you know, little app up and running that I was making from scratch. And there was just a lot of just writing code. Mm. And now I feel like there's so much of digging through the code base and seeing maybe how else it's done in the code, what you're trying to do, and maybe if there's a better way of doing it and reading through all the documentation and going to Stack Overflow. And, you know, you write a couple lines of code and you try it out and it breaks some tests and you delete a line and then you research again and maybe you write another line later. And then that's all broken up with all the meetings. And on my team, we also do uh, support through AWS. So spending a lot of time in the AWS platform, uh, which I had no idea about while I was in boot camp, and kind of learning other technical things that are part of the job, but that aren't writing code has been just really interesting for me. Like this last week at work, I really spent a lot of time in the AWS console, and kind of working on building certain code that I had written and just, you know, making sure it ran. And I, I don't know how many lines of code I wrote in the last week, maybe five. Um, <laughs> but yeah. I was still doing my job. It just happened to involve a lot of writing code. You know, it's like sometimes you're paying a developer not to write 500 lines of code, but to know to change one. There's usually an ebb and flow to that. Like, you know, as you take on new features, as you take on new capabilities, those days will be soon enough as well. 
Yeah. Yeah. I know I see some of the seniors like cranking out a lot more lines and that's awesome. But I think it probably varies so much company to company and then like the projects that you're working on and what's important at the time, how much tech debt you have, all those things. I really hadn't put any thought into that when I was in a boot camp. Those things kind of come with experience. So I was talking to my son this morning and showing him some GitHub workflows. And I'm like, you know, they're probably not going to teach you this in college or in a boot camp, but, but it's something you need to know how to use. So, so you've got, you know, these years in beer sales, you're, you're fresh into software engineering, reflect back a little bit and kind of think through like, what is some key advice that really helped you get through those moments and, and find this path that you're now on? I think a big thing for me was just being okay with taking chances and with kind of the unknown. I think like going into college and, you know, looking for some of my first jobs, I had this idea of like, well, you have to know before you go into this career field that it's something you're going to enjoy and maybe something that's going to make you money and check all these other boxes. Making this career switch, I really just felt like it was such a leap of faith, but the, how else do you really figure out if you're going to make like a big, totally different career change? Like there's not too many ways to really find out if you're going to enjoy that until you're really deep into it. And even now I feel like I'm in the honeymoon phase of this tech career I have. And maybe in three, four years, I might start to burn out a little and I might want to pivot again. Like, I don't know. It's hard to tell, but I took a lot of time to kind of reflect on my strengths and the things I enjoyed doing with my time. And then I tried to line those up with a possible career path that would work for me. And so far, I feel like I got lucky and I might have gotten it right. And the thing is, like on your path, like let's say you got through the boot camp and you didn't like it. Six months out of your life, you could always go back to sales, right? Maybe in a different industry, but... Yeah, and I think tech skills are something like I could have pivoted into selling software, which makes more money than selling beer, unsurprisingly. And so I figured that it's never going to be bad to have some tech skills um, in the world we're in and the world we're going into. Tech is only going to become more and more prominent. And so it did feel like I wouldn't be able to really lose. And at least I'd be able to cross one thing off that I didn't want to do. Caitlin, such good advice. And it's been so awesome to have you on the show and share your story. I know there's a lot of really good media advice and insight in there for any of our listeners who are thinking about boot camps and perhaps thinking about how to get their first job in tech coming out of boot camps. So one final question, where can our listeners learn more about you and your path, perhaps reach out and, and get some advice from you? Come find me on Twitter. I am at the Kate Code. Kate is C A I T. Feel free to shoot me a message there or find me on LinkedIn. I try to respond to everybody and kind of give advice or just be a person that knows what you're going through. So feel free to reach out. That's fantastic. And for our listeners, we'll be sure to link up. 
Caitlin's uh, Twitter, her LinkedIn, as well as her website, which is a great example as well of what you can do to help curate your brand in this day and age of social coding, shall we say. Caitlin, thank you again so much for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the Developmentor podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Even better, please leave us a review. If you want to hear older episodes, leave feedback, or sign up to be a guest, please visit us at developmentor.com. If you'd like to support the show, there are three ways you can help out. One, make a donation via Patreon. Two, if you're a software engineer looking for your next gig and wanting to practice interviewing, use our referral link to the interviewing.io platform. And three, buy your next tech book from Manning Publications using our affiliate link. All of those links can be found at developmentor.com slash support dash us. That's S-U-P-P-O-R-T dash U-S. All one word. Most importantly, if you like this show, please tell your friends. Referrals are the lifeblood of any podcast. Finally, we here at Developmentor hope that each and every episode helps you move one step closer to finding your path.